Hello and welcome to the MTB Connect podcast. I'm Shannon Osrin. I'm joining you from WA. We are in Perth for West Tech Fest. I have Dr. Kate Brooks with me. She's our Director of Stakeholder Engagement in WA. And I have a new guest. It's Dr. Carlo Bellini. Welcome to you both. Thank Thanks you. so much. So, Carlo, you uh, did a panel that featured Kate at the West Tech Fest in Perth. Do you want to tell us about what you guys spoke about? Sure. So, the panel is essentially looking at the future of healthcare, what the opportunities are, where are their barriers, where are their threats, and then trying to bring a West Australian focus to really where's the opportunity for WA and what can we do to leverage biotech, pharma, medical tech, and digital health within Western Australia and Australia. And I think there were some pretty interesting topics of discussion, Kate, what about yourself? I think so, and I might just add, it was awesome to have you facilitating the session, bringing not only your charismatic um, charm on the stage, but also your knowledge from working overseas and having you back in WA to share that knowledge and drive the conversation like you did today was was really awesome. And I love sharing the stage with Marcus Tan from mm-hmm. Health Engine and also one of our favourite um, startups here in WA, um, Onco Res and Kath Giles. So, so I think the topics you were talking about were really relevant especially given the audience of West Tech Fest, which um, is a broad range of, of, of technology enthusiasts and entrepreneurs, not just from medical, um, the medical sector, but beyond. And so questions around the future of um, digital, the future of disruption and opportunities for new startups and new ventures, all those topics are really relevant to that broad audience. Carlo, when, uh, when did you come back to WA? Where were you before? I returned just a couple months ago, and I'll give you a brief snapshot of my career. So yeah. I'm WA born and bred. I, I worked um, as a little kid in my parents' family pharmacy, like migrants. So healthcare was always something that we lived and breathed. And, like, and from a young age, I wanted to be a doctor. And, and I did medicine, and I realised in that journey quite early on that I wanted to impact healthcare on a broader level and have a systems level of impact and I thought that there was a real absence of leadership um, particularly in in healthcare in a business side there was a lot of people that got thrust into that role not really wanting to do it or they didn't want to work with patients ended up in leadership and management and I thought you know what this is an area I really want to focus on so for the past um, almost or over a decade now I've worked at that intersection of healthcare strategy innovation. We heard from Kath Giles who's actually gone overseas and had some great success of her startup Res. Kate, you were with her um, at the MedTech conference this year and you saw her win amazing award at the conference. So it's, it's great to see that WA is being recognized as a great place for innovation. Yeah, it was awesome. It was an awesome moment to have that global recognition ultimately from a marketplace that is global, that is where the success must must lie. Uh, I think in WA we've got these tremendous um, stories of innovation and in, in medical and health. Here in WA, for example, we have a really tight-knit community um, with some awesome 
medical researchers who are really leading the way in um, d delivering better health outcomes to patients. What's interesting now is having them translate that and turning it into a commercial product. And we have a really vibrant startup scene across all the sectors here. They're working very closely with technology, but also with some of the corporates and other industry partners in town. Mm. Um, so that ecosystem is tight knit, and I think it'll serve us really well for, for, to support and, and connect any new startup in this field. Yeah, and Carlo, being born and bred in WA, proud WA boy, you have seen firsthand, I guess, what is coming up in WA with your experience in Chevron. Do you want to just talk about how um, WA is is up and coming, how, how it's getting bigger and better? So I think WA indeed has got some pretty great strengths. So the first part is talent. We've got a lot of smart people in WA and you need talent in any any ecosystem to get anything done and anything created, number one. Number two, I think that in, in WA it is a relatively small area where people love the lifestyle, they, their family, friends grew up here, often people want to stay here for their, their longer term. I think it's interesting because it creates a bit of a challenge because a lot of people leave but a lot of people come back. So with that there's a gap where people go and upskill and they go work overseas or over east and the like and that's often when they're most hungry in their career. And then people often return, I think, for a bit more of the lifestyle and the family life when perhaps they're a bit less hungry. And therein, I think, lies a bit of a challenge within WA, where we do have the foundations of a lot of the things that you need to develop a tech ecosystem, but life is pretty comfortable. And in many ways, I think there can be less of an urgency that we see in other places. The other part is that WA is phenomenal when we look at mining, innovation, mining, entrepreneurship, real estate, entrepreneurship, and that is really the two industries where most of our wealth is created. Digital is something we're a lot less familiar with. So we don't have the amount of smart investors that exist in Western Australia. And you need smart experience in many ways to actually foster that growth and go from zero to one. And that's another area where I think WA struggles a bit and something that we could absolutely seek to try and grow within this wonderful state. Well, yeah, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because there is a lot of potential. So, Kate, I'll get from you. We're part of the MTV Connect Life Sciences Innovation Hub. Tell us about how the hub is going to work with these startups and help them accelerate their commercialized, commercialized products. Well, for us, it's really important to work with the startups um, because they are really the start of that pipeline um, that's ultimately going to drive economic activity and growth for the state. So what we want is for startups to reach out to the hub um, and we can help, we want to hear their story so we can promote their, their idea and their solution to a much broader, broader audience which will help promote their brand and perhaps get them a new investor or a new customer. But more importantly, we'd love to connect them with anyone else in the ecosystem we work with that can help accelerate their journey. So we've heard a lot in the panel today about the importance of technology and AI and being and the data sets and having all this, this um, you know, cyber security and everything that comes with working in a digital space. So we would love to help the startups 
um, connect with experts in that field and other, other entrepreneurs and initiatives that might want to work and create a new team to help them get along that commercialization journey as, as fast as they can and also help make sure they're aware and have um, a successful application to many of the funding programs that are, are run in the state but also at the federal level. Mm. What are some of those uh, programs, do you just want to talk about the funding opportunities? Well we know that MTP Connect um, are, are working um, to deliver two, two, two funding programs through the, the Federal Government's Department of Health. Um, so we've got the BTB program and the BMTH program and just this week we had you know events that were promoting those opportunities to, to startups and also those early stage um, startups that may, if they're still maybe a researcher who has an idea and is thinking about how to turn it into a, to a product and a startup venture. So we're happy to help any of those, um, those, those entities work, you know, and connect with so that they have all the right information on the grants. Well, yes, and, and MCB Connect has all that information that you can find on our website. So, uh, Carlo, I'll ask you about more about your career. Very fascinating. At the age of 29, you were appointed as the Chief Medical Officer at Chevron Australia, responsible for the health and well-being of 25,000 employees. That is a lot of employees to look after. Yeah, it was, it was 25,000 employees and contractors, both about 5,000 employees in Perth, and then the remaining of the, the employees and contractors up in the remote parts of Western Australia on Barrow Island and in Onslow. So we, it was also challenging environments where we had essentially built large communities that didn't exist before from scratch, and we had to provide all the healthcare infrastructure servicing those communities. So what was that experience like? Well, it was really, really interesting in, in many ways. The, the first part was the role that I went into was a new role within Chevron Australia. So it was a building role. And that was one of the things that I was particularly attracted to and building a healthcare capability within the organisation. The, the second part that made it quite interesting, wellness, mental health, were really, really topical issues and really, really important for the company to invest in their staff and contractors to support them in a remote environment where there's different challenges than working in a city environment. And the other part was, um, it was busy and a lot of people, in, as you can imagine, when you've got a workforce of 25,000 people, people get sick, they have heart attacks, they get appendicitis, they have a variety of different uh, other healthcare challenges. And also the public health challenges were quite interesting because say for example on Barrow Island, there was only one way in and out essentially, which was on aeroplane. And we were flying 1,000 people in a day, 1,000 people out, and there's three kitchens to service a workforce of 8,000 people. So the public health management was um, a, a, on a scale that uh, was really quite interesting intellectually, but then practically when things went awry, um, you really had to act swiftly and with intent. So, so Carla, you must have seen some interesting medical devices you know that that assist emergency response and you know and also identify existing health issues um, so can you talk to some opportunities you might have you, you came across that you could share with budding entrepreneurs in WA to say hey there's a market here I think it would be a really sure. good opportunity to to solve this yeah it's, it's a great question so I can give you a couple of examples of 
um, situations where we saw some quite interesting devices and, and there's absolutely a space to operate there. So one of them is cardiac arrest when um, you've got a workforce that is quite dispersed in a remote area, response time is incredibly important. Being able to train people that are working with the person that might have an arrest. And the other part is then being able to give successful or effective CPR. And with that, there was a really interesting device that actually you place on the patient and it automates the chest compressions to an acceptable standard. And that makes it now much easier to transport someone and still give them CPR, whereas previously you wouldn't be able to do that. So that was a really interesting one. The other parts, the the other problem spaces that we had was anything related to flu or flu diagnosis or any type of respiratory illness and early detection, whether someone was infected or not infected because that changes whether that person can go to work, whether they can socialize, whether they have to be isolated. And a lot of the time when you're in that type of environment without appropriate diagnosis or screening, you just err on the conservative side. And that results in people being isolated and lost productivity quite often unnecessarily. And possibly evacuated or a site shut down if if there's too many unknowns. And to do an evacuation costs um, tens of thousands of dollars and it brings in its own risks and the like as well. So there's a variety of other therapies. An interesting one as well is um, mental health and just uh, mental well-being. So the thing that I found was really interesting is that while a lot of people focus on mental health training and like, which is absolutely very important for supervisors, managers, colleagues, peers, an interesting part is if you can provide reliable and fast broadband or data it gives people that opportunity to stay connected to their family at home. And that is actually just a really, really important thing. So I think there's really, when we think about this, there's reframing of what the problems are, which may well arise opportunities for products and businesses and the like to support them if we actually change the way we look at the problem space. To Carlo's point, it's about starting with the challenge and, the, and, and really understanding the return on investment and opportunity. So if we can, if we can work, if we can, if, if, if we can highlight and promote that in WA, that's a great starting point for our startups. And another part that's really quite interesting with medical tech, uh-huh. it's often military that has the first application or use. Um, because the risk reward, they've got the money, they're willing to trial something even if it doesn't work but it gives them a small advantage. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting because um, you look at other industries that might not necessarily be healthcare where you can try and pilot things, obviously depending what it is it might not be appropriate, but other areas that you can pilot things to try and find out if there actually is something there on a larger scale that there is a product market fit. Carla, you were in uh, 2011, were the first Western Australian to study at Google and the NASA-sponsored Singularity University. There was something about exponential technologies. That's really interesting. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So Singularity University is an institution that was co-founded by Peter Diamandis and Ray Kurzweil. Diamandis is the founder of the XPRIZE, which um, was the organisation that basically awards prizes for human achievement in new frontiers. And the first X prize was $10 million for uh, a group of people that could build a spacecraft that could go to lower Earth orbit twice in two weeks. And from that, that was the catalyst for the commercial space industry. And that technology that won the competition actually became Virgin Galactic. 
And Ray Kurzweil, he's a futurist, he's, an, he's a prolific inventor, and he wrote a book called The Singularity is Near, really looking at when artificial intelligence achieves general intelligence and what does the world look like at that point. So the institution was founded, and I was one of the, the first cohorts to do their flagship program. And the idea is how do we impact a billion people in 10 years with exponential technologies? And an exponential technology is a technology that is on an exponential curve in price performance. And the most seminal example of this and the person that really first observed exponential technologies is Gordon Moore, who was the president of Intel back in the 1960s. And what he observed was on an integrated computer circuit board, there was the doubling of transistors every two years. And that basically correlated to a doubling of performance. And if you track computing power since then, it's essentially roughly followed that. And it's also decreased in price on a similar curve. So the best example that we've got of that, that will all relate to is mobile phones, which is when they first came out, there were massive bricks that most of us, if we got one, would have thought, why would you ever have this? McKinsey, famous strategic consulting company, totally underestimated the global penetrations because they assumed it's too big, it's never gonna, no one's ever gonna use it, it's gonna be linked to people's usage in cars, and now we all walk around with a phone and if we lose it, it's catastrophe. So that's something we can really feel. Now, healthcare has got similar trends in exponential technology. The most leading example of that is genetic sequencing, where the US government wanted to map the human genome, and about 30 years ago, they did it, they spent billions of dollars doing it. Shortly after they did it, Craig Venter, who's a private geneticist, did it for about a tenth of the cost, and now you can get your genome sequenced for less than $1,000. So we're seeing that in healthcare, we're seeing that in a variety of other industries, aviation, robotics, big data, AI, and it's the convergence of all these technologies that is providing a huge amount of opportunity and also an increased amount of unpredictability of where the future is going. So, so one of the thing, one of the topics we heard today mm. um, before before the event that uh, Carlo led was about the importance of diversity in teams and and a sort of diverse new perspective looking at a challenge. And so, I think it's it's really important to have people w that you're working with who look at your, your challenges and, um, and the things you're working on with fresh eyes. And so, for example, my background is in physics and astronomy, but I'm really excited about looking at all the challenges and problems that are being solved in, in the medtech startup scene. There are a lot of similarities, but because I'm new to this and I have to ask a lot of new a lot of questions, it forces that startup or that researcher to explain things in a different way and that might seed a whole different thought, thought think, process. Absolutely. I, I think there's, there's an expert bias and there's actually things to be lost from relying on experts and it's largely because they are, they've grown up in a profession or a discipline where they've bought in bias unknowing. And they often started off quite open, but then once you discount certain methods and hypotheses, you end up with relatively fixed views. Yeah. And there's some, been some really interesting studies that, look, that looked at when do the largest scientific breakthroughs happen in certain disciplines, and they correlated them to the death of the incumbent leader in that discipline because it gave room for new people to come up and test new things that previously were on the fringe. So I think what you said there is, is, is really, really true. The other part is that was the whole Singularity University philosophy, which is bring people from a variety of different backgrounds. So entrepreneurs, technologists, um, scientists, 
researchers across space, mm. energy, medicine, computers, AI, and let's see how we can look at the same problems from different perspectives. Now, there were some benefits that they've had there. They haven't realized what they hoped to achieve. But I think as we move in a world where these different disciplines are converging in ways that we haven't before, and we specifically look at healthcare, the way that big data, AI, consumer, these are all interconnected, and it's companies like Apple, Google, Samsung, that are actually going to be driving a lot of innovation in healthcare, where traditional health providers actually don't have that expertise of data and information, mm. analysis and manipulation and prediction. And in this, this world, it's all about the speed to market, and there's no doubt, I mean, there are smart people working in the, in the, in the health sector, I'm sure they could figure out in time any data-driven solution, but why do that when if you can partner and get there in half the time and more? Um, that that's the sort of imperative that's driving this, yeah. isn't it? It's partner, get the get the tech, get the, the yeah, talent. Yeah, or fast. if you've already got a capability in it, you can execute. execute it. So yeah. so Google, as we spoke about on the panel, Google have just partnered with. Ascension, which is the United States' second largest healthcare group, and essentially bought access to all of Ascension's patients' healthcare data, identified, not de-identified. And you think about, and we're talking about millions and millions of full healthcare mm. records, and Google's got a demonstrated capability. They're a world leader yeah. in, in data analysis, prediction, and they can also connect data streams, even if they say that they won't, connect health data with other areas. It, it gives a phenomenal potential um, in many ways scary and infringing on privacy and the like, but we're going to be seeing a lot more of this happen in the world. Yeah, but how do, how do we make it not scary? I think that very much hinges on what your view around privacy is. And if you look at China, for example, so I believe China will become the leader in artificial intelligence globally. And the reason why it will become the leader, in my opinion, is artificial intelligence drives forward based on the amount of data that it can get to actually improve its algorithm and its performance. If you look at the EU, the EU has introduced quite rigid privacy guidelines to protect the individual. China is much more authoritarian where it forces its companies to share data. So you're trading off the individual and their privacy versus the betterment of the system. Now, in a world where like, I value privacy, I think most of us value privacy, the challenge comes around what level do we accept, number one. Number two, recognizing that we are actually already share a huge amount of data that people don't really acknowledge. So people share things on Facebook, people share things on Google. They've already got all of our data. All of our smartphone data is in existence and it's owned by people that we sort of trust and we don't miss it until we lose our privacy. So these are discussions and ideas that I think are yet to be formed. It'll vary jurisdiction by jurisdiction, but in a more global internet interconnected world, we will actually steer as a global community towards transparency because I don't think you can maintain privacy indefinitely. We talk about uh, trends in healthcare and bring it back to WA. How is WA seeing the trends in healthcare? So it's interesting to consider Australia and different states about what they can do. So the first part is when we talk about what they can do, who's they? And there's a variety of different stakeholders and a variety of different groups. To my mind, you need large organizations with leverage and scale 
to participate and provoke innovation, stimulate the ecosystem and the like. And to me, in, in WA, like most of Australia, that is largely the health departments that control the healthcare systems. And we actually have an amazing asset that I think we undervalue and we underprice. Because under central control, we have thousands of beds, we have tens of thousands of healthcare workers, patients that are interacting with the healthcare system on a day-to-day -day basis that we've got an opportunity to open up and leverage if we think about it differently. Now Carla, your work, just on that point, you're working with some of those health departments, aren't you? Do you want to tell us about one yeah. of the most exciting things you've seen in that, in that work of late? So I'm working with the North Metro Health Service, which is the, the largest um, hospital service provider uh, within Western Australia. So it's about a, a $2.2 billion annual spend and there's a few large hospitals with several thousands of beds and about 13,000 employees. And the, the, CEO, the chief executive, Robin Lawrence, um, her and I went to Israel along with the health minister for Western Australia, Roger Cook, and the director general of health, um, David Russell Weiss. We all travelled together to Israel earlier this year where I had an informal leadership role of connecting the global ecosystem and innovation back to WA. And Robin came to me and said, I want to do something in innovation. So absolutely to her credit and to her boldness, we built an innovation program within this North Metro healthcare service within two months. We went from zero to deployed innovation program. Now most innovation programs in big organizations fail. They fail for many, many reasons, but essentially they fail because bureaucracy is far too, it's the, it's the strongest immune system. It senses change, it just tries to kill it. The other part is people try and manage new programs that are innovative with the systems that actually kill innovation before. And number one is that innovation is actually a cultural problem. It's not a tech problem, it's not a strategy problem, it's a people problem. So what we did, we basically did, we brought to innovation, what the innovation program, what we want people to actually do, which was to embrace safe experimentation, try something new by defining a problem space in a way that we're not in love with the solution, we're not attached to a solution, we really, really want to explore the problem and do that in a way that we can try and get as much value from as minimal resources as possible and affect greatest change. We should let you get back to the West Tech Fest um, networking session that's on. Um, it's so wonderful to have you back in WA, to, to have your thought leadership and all your experience. And I can't wait to hear about some of those initiatives that you've been talking about. And hopefully, you know, MTP Connect and the WA Life Sciences Innovation Hub can get some of those initiatives fast to market. Thanks so much, Kate. It's, it's really wonderful being back in WA. I'm really proud of Western Australia and I love it here. So I'm really seeking to contribute in any way that I can. Yeah, and because podcasting is an audio medium, through when uh, Carlo was saying that last part, Kate had a big smile on her face because <laughs> the WA boy returns. So it's, <laughs> it's great to have you back, Carlo. Thanks so much. So this was the MTB Connect podcast. We had Dr. Carlo Benini. He is a consultant, an executive coach, and a speaker, prolific speaker, as we've just heard. And we had our Director of Stakeholder Engagement, Dr. Kate Brooks. She heads up the MTB Connect Life Sciences Innovation Hub at the Harry Perkins Institute of Medical Research in WA. So hit her up if you have an interesting idea in WA. You can catch us on all your podcasting platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And give us a rating, 
comments, any feedback, we really appreciate it. It just makes it easier for people to find our podcast. So until next time.